The Incomparable. Number 214. October 2014. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I am your host, Jason Snell. It is an edition of our book club. So I have called some readers together. And what we're going to be talking about in this episode is a series of books um, with some light spoilers. But we are going to blow the spoiler horn. Um, and then uh, we'll uh, tell you when to. you can come back late, late to find out what we're reading. But a uh, series of books. There are currently four novels in this series. Uh, the, the series is called The Expanse. The author is James S.A. Corey, who is not a person because it's actually two guys, Daniel A. Ram and Ty Frank. He's a proto-molecule. He's a not, it's not real. <laughs> no. no. Um, and the, the, the novels are Leviathan Wakes, Caliban's War, Abaddon's Gate, and Cibola uh, Burn. Some of us have read all of them. Some of us have read sort of one of them and um, one-ish and uh, in between. So um, – I, I guess I'm the in-between. I've read three plus of them. I'm reading the fourth one now. Anyway, uh, really fun series. We recommend it highly. We'll talk about it a little bit before we blow the spoiler horn off. Uh, and joining me when I say we, I mean Dan Morin. Welcome back, Dan. I'm back. It's so good to be back. Yes. I, I, I mean, I'm on a podcast with you every week, but not the, this is I'm not on the incomparable. <laughs> I'm back here. Week. Yes. It's good to have you back here. Back among friends. Yes, exactly. Not like, uh, wait a second, are not you saying... Like, not like that other one. Oh, I, I'm saying Dan. not like a podcast where I constantly try to get usurped. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Good point. Uh, David Lore as well, hello. Hello there. And, of course, it would not be a book club episode except for the ones we do about Stephen King novels and things uh, without <laughs> Scott McNulty. Hello. Or, or Harry Potter or, or young adult yeah. fiction. It would not be... Or graphic novels. I don't even consider those real book club episodes because they don't feature <laughs> Scott McNulty. Uh, well, that's sweet. Those are book episodes. Not really properly in the book club. Wow. Do any episodes feature Scott McNulty? I don't think so. Uh, no, although then I listen to you talk and talk and talk on your own random Trek podcast, and I think, why doesn't he speak on The Incomparable? And the answer is, he feels no need. It's going <laughs> it's, fine. I'll just sit here. I'm enjoying listening to the podcast. And, uh, I have to speak. There are only two people on that other podcast, yeah. so if I don't speak, it's <laughs> And you're the host. Very, very that would wise. be a great podcast, by the way, if you just invited somebody on and then didn't yeah. say anything. Welcome just... to the latest episode of Silence with Scott McDonald, yeah. where we sit quietly for 45 <laughs> mm-hmm. minutes. And think about what we've done. That'd be an easy edit, though. So. <laughs> that would be good. So, The Expanse... I. I you know, this is a really interesting series in that um, it is uh, it has already been picked up as a ten episode season uh, on on the Sci Fi Channel. So uh, this uh, as the Expanse, not as Leviathan Wakes. And we talked if 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 uh, that title sounds familiar, episode ninety six of the Incomparable Space Fedora, which was the twenty twelve Hugo Award nominees, included <laughs> Leviathan Wakes, which was nominated for the Hugo. This is a this is a would it be fa- fair to call this a space opera kind of series? Do you think? I, I give it. I, a, I yeah, think so. I say that. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I I was thinking about this as I've been reading them um, because generally, when I think space opera, I think sweeping galactic adventures. Uh, not to spoil anything, so I won't say anything. But the the bulk of these happen within the solar system. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of moving around. A lot of planets are involved. So I was I was trying to think of what it. Is. I mean, it's certainly space opera. It's like solar system. Can we call opera. it a uh, Can we call it a space operetta? 
Oh, I, I like it. That's that's how much for just the planet. That's, I, that's a space opera. I, I think I think solar system opera, perhaps, because it is it. The, yeah. the idea here is that people are going, you know, between Mars and Earth and the outer planets and and moons of Jupiter and Saturn and the asteroid belt, and they've got different spaceships and there are different factions. Um, and and that's from the very beginning. Um, that's the setting of of these novels, and and so it's not quite super widescreen of we walk, you know, across the entire galaxy but um definitely it's it's got the uh it's got that though if you keep in mind that the name of the series is the expanse yeah it makes you wonder <laughs> you doesn't might, it you might think Ooh, that maybe that lens pulls back at some point we'll 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 get to that but that that's actually one of the interesting things about the construction of the series as a series so the story is scott and i did, dan did you read leviathan wakes for that for that podcast i did not i read it later on i right. i read it a month or two ago so we read that for that episode the, because it was a hugo nominee and it was good it's a good book um i didn't quite the perspective i have on it now is very different because now i think of it as like the first season or whatever of this you know th- this book series which is every june it seems these guys put out a new book in this series and they seem fairly committed because they're to- long <laughs> Yeah, well, it, t- it takes two yeah. guys to write a book this long once a year. Um, but I like that about it. And it, and now having read three and a half of them, uh, it is a, it is a series. So so you can jump in with Leviathan Wakes. And I, I just my, my opinion of it has changed now that I realize what I was reading was sort of the start of this larger uh, epic instead of the uh, sort of, you know, science fiction novel that I thought it was that was smaller, I mean, not small scale, but not quite the same as being part of a giant series. So I guess I don't remember from that episode. I don't even remember if I was on that episode. What people thought of it was there. I mean, you, you said you, it was OK. You weren't, you, <laughs> you weren't well, on it. So that's good. Yeah, I'm glad you don't remember thank, what you I said. I mean, I don't remember any podcast I was on either. So, yeah, you know, enough. Uh, so, I mean, did you, you said it was OK, but you didn't see. I loved it. I thought it was the best book I've read in ages ah. <laughs> in fact i will take an unpopular position right now and say that i enjoyed it much more than i enjoyed ancillary justice which i know everybody else oh wow liked. wow uh, it was nice talking to you much <laughs> <more>. <laughs> you, guys <later. laughs> you you need to get out of the house more i know scott's scott is not wrong often but you know it happens <laughs> no it no don't say that it doesn't ever happen <laughs> oh. i just I'm, I'm just i'm just enjoying this too much I, I didn't even think i didn't even think leviathan wakes was the best of the hugo nominated uh, well well among <laughs> others was in that yes. that group and that that was the best of them but leviathan wakes was good um, it was good. i i liked it I, in fact i i think maybe i voted it like second or third um but it it, it is good and, and and you know space fedora the the clever thing about leviathan wakes and actually dan one of the reasons i bet you like it um is one of the characters one of the two characters that is in leviathan wakes is this uh detective with a hat (laughs) space detective with his space fedora he does have a hat and i know you like the kind of noir detective things and this is like a space noir detective story there's a girl she's missing detective miller needs to find her of course they're in the outer planets but uh but you've got that and she's she turns out she's a rich girl but she's gone missing and and they don't really know what's going on there and then meanwhile there's this uh this pilot who's uh 
who who he and his crew have a different set of adventures and they kind of go back and forth um, and, it, and, it, and it you know meshes over time the stories come together yeah yeah, and the politics of this of this setting and of this book are fascinating too, because you've got these. It is a multipolar solar system. You've got Earth and Mars and the outer planets who are trying to exert themselves as independent as well. Um, and so you've got that as the backdrop, and then you've got these individual people who are just like trying to get get on and do their jobs, whether they're on a on a on a colony or they're flying a, a ship. And then, of course, what happens in Leviathan Wakes is that something something crazy happens. That is, you know, is it is it alien? It's unknown. Uh, there's kind of a uh, you know a discovery that's made about you know without spoiling it too much. Something you know they they discover something crazy, and that leads to a whole bunch of uh, other complications on top of it. And, and in some ways, to me, anyways, that to is the like the least compelling part of the story. Like it gets it's interesting and it is a catalyst. But I think the things that I really enjoyed about this, the first book, and about the series in general, are the depictions of the politics. Like they do a very, very good job of spelling out why all these different factions believe the things they do and how they come into conflict and what happens when they bounce off each other. And most importantly of all, the characters, which to me felt like people rather than so many science fiction books I read where the characters, especially with this current fascination of science fiction books that take place so far in the future that people are basically unrecognizable as people. Right. I find that I often have a hard time relating to those, whereas these guys, they talk like people. They talk like, you know, ordinary folks. They have motivations that are recognizable. It's not all just, you know, uh, uh, talking about these, you know, the getting fascinated and bogged down in the science fiction-y details of it all. So... I found that to be a really enjoyable experience. Well, I mean, Miller is a noir. I mean, he is a noir detective. He sure, does get absolutely. obsessed with the girl. It is he is a recognizable character, not only as a as a twentieth century, in fact, character trope, but also as a character with motivations of his own. Well, and Jim Holden is a paladin, if you want to put it in that. <laughs> <laughs> he is a do gooder. He is. I kind of thought of him as like a James Kirk. Yeah. Yeah, he's a little bit. He's little bit. even more. He's even more moral in some ways than Kirk, right? Like, because he has it. Really, is he's lawful good? You know, he's got that whole thing where he's like, "I'm just gonna tell everybody everything, and I'm gonna be like <laughs> totally painfully good about some things." And it does make him a rather simplistic character at times. But they really dive into that subsequently in terms of how he acts, which I find fascinating. Yeah, I, I was gonna say, I, I really like that it that it is that sort of blend of these very familiar kind of things like Star Trek and noir and, and or even like James Kirk as if he were in Firefly almost because right. it's a little more beaten up right um but I like that it that it sort of spun off from there and became its own thing and you know when when Space Fedora you know I listened <laughs> to that and you know and at that point I was still burnt out on sci-fi because there, I mean, there was there was a long stretch where I had just read so much and I was just tired of it. I was like, no more sci-fi, and so I didn't. You know, I listened to it to all the podcasts and didn't pick up any of the books. I'm like, okay. So when I picked this up, um, I really liked the world building hmm. of it too. Uh, it, it was just fascinating, and and it feels lived in the way a lot of sci-fi doesn't these days. You know, they've they've clearly put a lot of thought into what it would be like in this place and this place and this place and this place and how the people are, are reacting and how they've changed by being so far apart. Um, so I really enjoy that. 
So, you know, yes, I've read the first one. I'm going to keep reading them. All right. Well, it, it, yeah, it's it's funny. I read the first one and liked it and knew that or discovered that it was a series. And I thought, well, I'll get back to that. And then like this last, I don't know, three months ago or something, I thought, oh, that this thing got picked up as a series. Uh, I like that book. Let's let's uh, let's read on. Um, yeah. Well, but but if at the time you only had the one book to go on, that makes sense. Whereas I'm coming to it with. Yeah, there are three more books. There's three novellas, and there's a series. I think there was a second book just out when we recorded that episode. And okay, you know, okay. and I, I actually one of the perils of being a Hugo no- nominee reader is that if book one of a series gets nominated, you wait for the next year's nominees, assuming that you'll read it then, and it didn't get nominated. <laughs> so I, I, I sort of <laughs> lost true. track of it. And that, oh that, wow, that's a, like secrets of the people who who follow these nominees lists around. Is sometimes you're like, yeah. It'll get nominated next year. Like, I'm not going to rush out and, and buy the next Mira Grant book because it's just going to get nominated next year and I can read it then. <laughs> the only reason that I'm not buying the next Mira, Mira Grant Yeah, that's it. That's the only that's, reason. That's right. Uh, you know, maybe Erica can give us a – lend her, us her copy, Scott. <laughs> that's true. I did buy a copy of the second book. Caliban's War, is that the second Yeah. Book? Yes. Um but I just set it on my shelf because I, I mean, I like the first book. Don't get me wrong. Um, I think it's, it was a lot of fun and I enjoyed it and I certainly would read more, but I have a lot of other stuff that I was reading. So it just wasn't on the list. Uh, and then Jason said, Hey, let's do a podcast about it. So I took it down and read it and then I immediately read the third yeah, one yeah. and then I immediately read the fourth <laughs> one. And then I was like, Oh, there's yeah. some no- novellas. So I read all of them right in a row. So See, this is a, uh, this is a big, uh, it's a, a compelling a narrative, right? Like yeah. I mean, that is a thing about like, cause I read the second book while I was on vacation. Um, and I, you know, another thing that this, that this series has going for it that I don't get, I feel like from a lot of science fiction these days is, uh, it's funny. Um, I was sitting yes. down on a dock reading it and laughing out loud, yeah. which is pretty rare for a, for a book to get me, especially one that is not like a you know humor book, like a Terry Pratchett or something. Um, but the dialogue is sharp and very, very funny, and the characters are drawn in such a way that you find it kind of delightful when they act exactly the way that you expect them to do because that's what you've been you know taught to believe with these characters. So I, it's, it's clever and it's well done. The construction of this, um, knowing that it's a series now, I think about this a little bit more. That and, and these guys, I mean, one of these guys is is George R. R. Martin's like right. assistant or something. And actually, that's funny because hmm. uh, learned something about the about the business. I think it has some connections. And then they they sell this this TV series. And I, I thought to myself while reading the next uh, two books. Uh, that's really smart. This is the way you do a TV series is you have this, you have this lived in world. You've got these stories that are coming at a, at a, at a one book a year pace, which is actually perfect. And as I read the other books, I kept thinking, yes, this makes sense. This could be season two. This could be season three. You've got continuing characters. You've got new storylines, but also continuing characters set in the same universe. And, uh, you know, so I was thinking about that related to Game of Thrones and, and, and it, it fits. Now, how much of this is a, was a clever calculation by these guys. We will create a science fiction property that will become a television series. And if this, that was calculated, good job, guys, because you, you nailed it. <laughs> but it's but, also, I mean, it's episodic in a way. It, it is. I like that, though. I like yeah. that. I like that book one. All these books are different they have right. some characters in common yes. they have they have a through line of characters it's not as if and it's there's a through line of plot too but right it's not direct exactly 
exactly. Uh, we'll talk more about this after we blow the spoiler horn. But but I like that about it, that it's structured in a way where, you know, book one doesn't end and you're like, oh, boy, I got to read book two because th- this is a ripoff. No, book each book is a book. It tells a story. But mm-hmm. the characters, some of the characters continue. The, the overall story arc that you start to see in book two continues. And uh, I like that. It's a good – that's a nice – uh, plus, they release a book every year instead of like, well, when's the next book? <laughs> oh no, five years, seven years, who knows? Um, that's that all. Like that's a, this is like totally how uh, sci-fi novel series should work. I think exactly yeah, like taking, this. Take, taking notes, thanks. Clearly, he has a lot of time while George is writing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Okay, we're going to fire off the spoiler horn in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to tell you about our sponsor. It is Linda dot com l y n d a dot com this is the easy affordable way i've told you about it before to help you learn it's video training high quality video training and lynda.com is a subscription service you can instantly stream thousands of different courses they're all created by experts in subjects such as business software web development graphic design and much more they go to the experts and they go to software companies and they get the people who know the tools the best and those are the people who do training often that stuff comes out the same day the new versions hit the market so if you've got a new piece of software and you're like how do i use this it's different what's new lynda.com will often have that stuff ready right then it's high-quality video training. They have these gorgeous studios, the state-of-the-art. And so this isn't somebody down in their basement on YouTube showing you how to do something. These are experts in a high-quality setting. They break the courses down into bite-sized pieces so you can learn at your own pace. You can pick out certain aspects that you want to jump to. Click, you go there, and you learn what you need to learn. Or you can sit back and watch the entire course. It's up to you. There are searchable transcripts, playlists. You can get a certificate of course completion. It's got levels. There are beginner courses. There are advanced courses. If you're an expert who wants to fine-tune your skills, there are courses for you on lynda.com. And if you have no idea and you just need to get started with something, they've got courses for that too. I've definitely taken stuff at the beginner level at lynda.com and gotten into different topics and different pieces of software. And I've also done some advanced stuff when I really needed to know, how do you do this one thing? I'm not quite sure I'm doing it right. Lynda.com took care of me there. One low monthly price for access to the entire library of Lynda.com. $25 gives you unlimited access to more than 100,000 video tutorials. And you can do that on your computer, on your iPhone, on your iPad, on your Android device. It's all available for you wherever you are. Now, here's the deal. I've worked out a deal with lynda.com to give you access to that entire library absolutely free for seven days. What you need to do is go to lynda.com, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash incomparable. That's lynda.com slash incomparable, and you can try lynda.com free for seven days. So thank you very much to lynda.com for teaching me things and for sponsoring The Incomparable. Okay, time to fire off the spoiler horn. If you haven't read these books and you don't want to listen on, jump ahead to minute 54 where we will talk about what we're reading and go read these books. They're really good. Yeah, I, I, there's the characters. So my favorite character in the entire series so far is a narrator from book two who is, uh, and I'm going to mispronounce her name, but Avasarala. Avasarala, yeah. Yeah, right. I love her. Mm. Love her. She is my favorite character in the entire series. She's she's basically in charge of security for Earth, although she's got a title as a sub-whatever of the United Nations. 
Uh, what under assistant to the undersecretary yeah. of the UN, and she yeah. is a foul-mouthed grandmother, <laughs> a diminutive Indian grandmother who eats what pistachios Pistachio. out of her purse, out of her purse, yeah. And, so and what swears a, what tactically. A, what a great character. <laughs> yep. Um, and I, I think that to me was the moment that I really got sold on this because it took me, a, you know, you come in any book that switches narrators and, you know, Game of Thrones, which we talked about a little bit, has the same issue with like, OK, there's this new person. I'm going to be in their head and it might be a little tricky to adjust to it. And then, you know, ha- you know, a f- few chapters in, you, you find yourself really just enjoying being in these people's heads. I, I mean, it was definitely a departure coming from the first book because you got very used to this flipping back and forth between Holden and Miller mm-hmm. and like, all right, I've got these two threads. And then in each subsequent book, I think they get, I don't know if they go like scale necessarily more complicated, but like it definitely gets more complicated and more narrators as they go along. Um, and it's always a little bit of an adjustment period trying to deal with the new narrators. Um, but I often, you know, part of the way through the book, you know, you feel like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I like these people. I'm, I'm home. I also wonder if, if one of the reasons I like the second book more than the first is that the first book – so the first book's got the vomit zombies, this, this, this yeah. alien whatever it is, <laughs> proto-molecule uh, weapon, they don't know what it is, is going out of control and it's rewriting people and turning them into vomit zombies. And it's bad and everybody dies and it's very bad. Um, and I thought, well, you know, are you throwing in here? I, I didn't love that aspect of it because it felt it's, like, it's, oh, it's the least interesting more zombies. part of the book in some ways. Yes. A sci-fi novel with zombies. Y- yay. Um, <laughs> but in the second book, um, it becomes clearer that what they're really trying to do is sort of have the – results of the alien technology be like feel like really different and so you get the the aftermath of that attack uh where our friend the martian marine is the only survivor and uh it's this monstrous you know creature that is is spawned by the the proto molecule and 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 you realize okay they're not really trying to inject a horror element everywhere like they you know they're very specifically trying to just create a sort of alien scary feel from this stuff but i that that turned me around a little bit when i when um the because the first book's the use of zombies i'm like yeah okay and it's all about how in book two it's all about how people are turning that to certain ends right it's a it's less about what the alien protomolecule is doing than how all these different power bases are are trying to react to the fact that this thing exists right it turns out in book two and at the very end of book one that a lot of the badness that's happened is because people have screwed things up and not because there's an alien protomolecule that's doing weird things it is doing weird things but the people are the ones committing crimes around right. it right uh, which I, I I really like that too, and and I like the pol- the politics in book two, uh, looking at Avasarala's uh, balance of power, you know, even not just between Earth and Mars and the outer belt, but um, inside Earth politics, where yep. she's sort of like put in jeopardy at several points by aspects who want uh, who want to uh, blow things up instead of. Uh, instead of kind of taking care of humanity (laughs) yeah it's a very recognizable sort of power corrupts you know high level political machinations you know it's i think again the thing that that resonates for me is you know a lot of these a lot of science fiction books right now are dealing with this question of like well what does it mean to be human like especially in you know as technology progresses you know people are focused on this whole idea of the singularity and stuff like that and i think what i really love about these books is that they sort of conform to my belief which is like 
people are always going to be kind of inescapably people mm. and in in all the good and bad that that means you know they're they don't change that much we're not that different than we you know than we've been for the last several millennia um and i think to me that's what's really interesting about these books is all of these things are recognizable because even if we've you know gotten to other planets and colonized asteroid belts and stuff like that, people are still going to have the same petty power squabbles that they've always had, and they're going to act in recognizably human ways. Right. Right. I agree. Um, one of the shocking things that happens in book one is that uh, one of our two protagonists does get killed. Miller doesn't make it. Holden Holden survives the the idealistic annoying kind of ruins everything by being so honest <laughs> kind of guy which is which is delightful and they get their spaceship and he's got his girlfriend who's been his first officer all along and that's a really that's a nice thing but I always preferred Miller to Holden and the irony is that Holden is mm. and his crew are the ones we follow and Miller um Miller dies in the first book um but uh you know, but I still I like I like having the the um the guts to say uh, I'm going to kill off one of my main characters in this book, especially since it's a series. As it turns out, right. Right. just like George R. R. Martin. Yeah, look at that. They learned so many lessons. I do say I really I really enjoy a lot of the secondary characters, and some of them you get very attached to. My you know I really my other favorite favorite character is Amos. Amos, yeah, sure, of course, of course, and he's just he's just yeah another another great drawn character who could have been very cliched and stereotypical, but they he sort of embraces it in a way that makes it work. Um, you know, he starts off as sort of this big bluff mechanic guy. And as the, as the series develops, you realize, well, he's also just like a really, really exceptionally brutal thug, mm -hmm. but a lovable one but a, with a heart of gold. He's, he's a lovable sociopath. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and for one is. of the, one of the novellas is called the churn and it tells his story uh, from earth to how he goes uh, out into space. So interesting. Right, I kind of liked that. I didn't know his story because it made him kind of mysterious because they kind of, there are lots of kind of oblique Allegiance. hints yeah. and remarks throughout the, the series. Um, but the story lays it out for you. So if you want to know, there's a really nice scene in the third book where, um, they, uh, he's protecting, uh, another character and she's, you know, they're, they're all in trouble and they're going to be attacked by uh, other people who are coming for them with weapons. And it's a serious, uh, tense uh, standoff. And, uh, he, uh, she and she's a uh, minister, right? And she he right. he doesn't she doesn't know what to think of him because he is this big kind of brutal guy. And uh, they end up actually having a kind of really nice conversation and a really nice relationship where you know he he basically says, "I will I will make sure that they don't hurt you." And something might happen to me. I don't know, but I am going to make sure that you are you are safe and protected. And that that is that is that character in a nutshell, right? Which is he is brutal yeah. and violent, but um, you know I don't want to say like with a heart of gold, but that's essentially it. He's like he's a good he's he's a brutal violent guy, but he's our brutal violent guy. He's a he's one of the good guys. He has he's a loyal. loyalty. He has a yes. code, right? You know, yes, and he, that's man's got to have a code, like, Dan. Man's like got to have a code, Dexter. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and and there, I mean, there are scenes that, you know, again, we, we fired off the spoiler home, but there's a scene, I think it's in book two, there's a scene where he gets shot, uh, like in the head. That's a brief sort of scene where I remember reading, going oh, yeah. like, <gasps> like, you know, you sort of like involuntarily gasping, like, no, 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 don't 
don't kill Amos. He's great. And then, of course, it turns out, like, you know, he's wearing a helmet. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, smart, because he's smart. He's the, but, like, this whole sort of, he's got a whole sort of indestructible aura around mm-hmm. him in some ways. But not that he's, like, you know, doesn't get that crap kicked out of him a lot. So, David, how how uh, do you want to, like, hum, stick your fingers in your ears and hum for a while? Or, uh, <laughs> no, I, just... I'm, I, I've, I've read up on the, the okay. shape of the whole right. thing. So I'm... Don't don't worry. Okay, about so me. Miller so Miller dies, and and one of the things that I really like in book two, and I told I told my wife this when I was about seventy percent through. I said, you know, you, you read these series, and um, they move on, and even if there's some new characters in common, they don't like talk about, they don't spend time going like, oh yeah, remember him? Well, he's dead. That's too bad. They like they like just move on, and you very rarely have people like even in <laughs> even in Game of Thrones, they don't do this. They don't do like let's sit and remember how great a guy Ned Stark was, right? No, he's dead. We've moved on. Spoiler for Game of Thrones, by the way. What are you doing? Pay, pay attention. Ned's dead. Um, and uh. Uh, so I, I said, I said to her, I said to Lauren, um, I really like that they keep mentioning, oh, Miller, that bastard, you know, he did this and I wish Miller were here to ask him this thing. And the whole time I'm thinking that's actually kind of cool. I haven't seen a book do that because he's dead. And then the very last scene on the very last page of that book, Miller appears and, and says to Holden, um, yeah, we about gotta that. Talk. <laughs> we gotta talk. What? Yeah, that that is what? one of the great. Yes, yes, that is a great what moment, and I definitely laughed. at And that. Thomas Jane is playing Miller in the series, and I keep thinking, are they? Do they? Do they uh, cast him and say, okay, look, you're going to be in season one. We're going to kill you. You're going right. to not be in most of season two, but then you're going to be back for the rest of the series. Also, is it just me, or is he? He seems way too young and way too handsome to play Miller, based on like my. Well, him, but it's TV. Well, put a hat uh, on him. Quite, quite honestly, uh, and he's a, he's a he's a belter, so he's supposedly got a, like a big head and all that. Which you know, for TV, that's just going to be regular people. Uh, Dan, I, I don't know about you. I just cast our our former colleague Dan Miller as Miller. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> he's an older oh, guy. Yeah. He's bald. Uh, he's got see, a hat. He's got a beard. It. I well, can see it. He's, I would watch that show. Dan Miller is <laughs> is Miller, Detective Dan Miller. So uh, that nobody who nobody knows Dan except for us. But uh, yeah, I, I cast him. I just decided he was going to be Excellent the detective, choice. the more detective in this. <laughs> but but he, so he comes back, and, and that that blew me away. And and in the second book, we realize that the the proto molecule is doing something interesting on Venus, and it you know it becomes clear by the end of that book that we've sort of just gotten in the way of a machine, a molecular machine that is doing something an alien machine is doing something that we just don't even know what it is and people are uh, avasarala again great character the whole book she's basically thinking okay there's two things going on here that i have to balance one is we have lots of politics that could be very important and two is there's a giant alien machine down under the clouds in venus that could be building something that will kill us all and I gotta, I gotta think about that a little bit, or try not to think about it. And I really liked that too. That there's that like the stuff we can control as humans, um, and and also the feeling that we may be in deep trouble, very much like Game of Thrones, actually, with the others. It's uh, um, or the White Walkers, if you watch looming, a looming. Threat. It's like there's a looming threat to all humanity, and yet humanity's still squabbling with within itself. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, thanks. Um. What else? Uh, any other any other things about the second book? Avasarala Ava is such a great character. Um, that and the, and the and the marine whose Bobby. name 
Bobby. Bobby Draper. Bobby. Those were my two favorite characters. So great. They are also really good. Yeah, I like her too. And then I was sad that they weren't in the next book. That is my second. Uh, I mean, that the second book is my favorite of the series. I just, I really, I, I really it, like it. I agree with that. I, I like the other. T- I like the rest of them too. But I think the second book does yeah. particularly stand out to me because I mean, it delves the most into the politics aspect. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where this series is at its strongest is when it's doing sort of the political intrigue thing. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So the third book is Abaddon's Gate, which, uh, which I also, I mean, I like all of these books. This, this one's got a different feeling because this is Jim Holden is now being like haunted by, uh, by Miller. And what we realize is that, that this, um, what is it like blue firefly glow which is like the hint of the proto molecule that that whatever the alien uh creature is or alien machine that is um that it has has gone down to venus and built this ring and set it out outside of uh neptune's orbit um or or uranus's orbit i guess is uh uh, trying to communicate with him for some reason, except through Miller, and um, and you don't really know whether Holden is just totally crazy. I mean, you get the sense that he, come on, he's not really crazy. The blue glow means something. There's aliens at work here, but it it, it holds on enough just to make you wonder if maybe he's just actually crazy. I think <laughs> it is a complicated situation, and this is it gets interesting because you know as we see the development of this piece of alien machinery. And it becomes clear that the the whole this is the whole purpose. This is like the end game in some ways. Not only not the end game, right. middle game of the proto molecule is is building something, which right. turns out to be a gate, as the book's title might suggest. Yeah, it turns out to be this this ring that goes into somewhere else, and it's like a stargate basically. And where it goes is to like the lobby. <laughs> Of the galaxy, <laughs> which is uh, a whole bunch of rings, all of them off, strangely, and a space station, uh, which and and that's so so much of this book is surprisingly. I mean, talk about books in the same series with the same characters feeling totally different. Oh yeah, Abaddon's Gate mm-hmm. is small in the way that uh, that the previous book, Caliban's War, is big. Caliban's War is about ships going into and out of the inner and outer solar system and transferring people from here to there and, like, big, like, chess moves on a, on a solar system scale. Abaddon's Gate is about people in closed quarters uh, because in the gate lobby area, there's a speed limit. You can't go very fast. Uh, everybody is sort of, like, limited with what they can do. A lot of it takes place on one giant but one spaceship and it's about people in corridors... Uh, fighting room to room and then jim holden separately goes to the space station and has like his own personal uh end of 2001 moment for an extended period of time where he's trying to communicate with the alien whatever it is and yet this is the book that i thought it is kind of it is a smaller story but it is the book that transforms it into a space opera because now they have giant alien artifacts Uh, doing who knows what and they're you know trying to figure out this plus dealing with all the squabbling because they still don't stop squabbling even though they you know they go through this they don't know where they are they go through this ring everybody uh they don't want to go through the ring but the beginning you know a little kid, uh, stupid, little, kid <laughs> stupid kid, ruins it. Ruins it and <laughs> creates his own spaceship and slingshots himself through, and then everybody, all hell breaks loose. Um, but yeah, I thought it was fascinating how it kind of turned. The tone is the same, but the 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 setting and kind of it just 
expands the setting. Yeah, and this this is the book where you're like, oh, I see. Turns out, <laughs> now that we're in book three, <laughs> what we've actually been looking at is the setup for humanity being able to have access to this wider um, wider universe, wider set of galaxies and or, or or solar systems within our galaxy, because you know obviously they're going to be able to turn on these rings. And there's a neat moment where where uh, Holden kind of communes with the intelligence that runs, which is is never said to be an alien. It's like a machine intelligence that that has been the caretaker of the space station and this this transfer point, this this lobby. Um, and it's basically the ATM and the galaxy's lobby um and uh you play back what's happened and that's that i mean talk about space opera that's the moment of grand galaxy spanning civilization built this entire thing and then there's a mysterious other force that attacks it and it you know that civilization falls and they close off all the gates um and that's just sort of that tidbit there of like, wow, what happened? We're late to the party here. That is right, they, very there's cool. There's an even more ominous threat that killed off the ominous threat and <laughs> yes. left all this desolation, <laughs> right. which is a nice moment. I mean, it reminded me of some of the stuff in, um, if anybody's played the game Mass Effect, has a it has sort of a similar galaxy spanning, you know, threat approach in there. And I, I really dug that. I dug that the... Uh, I think it's incredibly clever the way they came up with how this, you know, how this machine deals with threats or things that it perceives as threats. For example, this whole deal with like when you're inside the gate in the lobby uh, and it just decides, no, nothing can move faster than like 30 miles an hour. Yeah. And all of a sudden everything that is moving faster and all that stuff, all those ships are moving faster because that's it's space. And that's what one does. Just grind to a halt. And it really it like kills people, and, kills people. and like, but like not in a way that's malicious, just in a way that's like, oh yeah, you are all going too fast now. Um, and I thought that the changing of physics and stuff like that as a defense mechanism, I thought was incredibly clever. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed that even you know, I, sort of to get back to the other point about the characters acting very human. Uh, even the the antagonists in that book um, are act in a way that is somewhat believable you know out of fear essentially but it is there's a lot of antagonism from all of many of these books uh where the bad guys are essentially people who just have a difference of opinion (laughs) there's a classic um a classic like uh uh wanting to be wanting to be worldly or wanting to turn in on yourself uh, um and be isolationist that that moment that happens where it's like we've been we've been shown the possibility of the galaxy uh all of these gates that maybe we could open and travel elsewhere and some people are like oh cool let's do that and other people are like no no burn it with fire run get out get out and th- that you know that's <laughs> they're both motivated by the same set of i mean the same set of data is there and some of them are motivated in a very different way than others well, that's true. As some of the characters are interested about, you know, going through, others are worried more about what can come through. Yes, and, right. and get them. them. You Very know, practical, this, practical concerns. You know, it's it's. But yeah. then uh, Holden just opens them anyway, so because <laughs> this is what he does. That's what he does. <laughs> but it's interesting because it's never always. It, there's a lot of pe- both other characters and narrative of the book that often considers maybe that's not actually the best approach. Um, <laughs> right. In particular, you know, like. Avasarala has a whole thing with him where it's just like, oh, yeah, you're just going to tell everybody everything, huh? This is – you're really, really dumb. (laughs) 
Um, and that's one of my favorite moments in the, all the books where she's just like, you're an idiot. Yep. Um, but, you know, and and bad stuff happens often when he makes those decisions. Mm-hmm. Like, he starts, like, three wars within the first book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's yeah. He, at times he reminds me of Captain Kirk. At times he reminds me of Malcolm Reynolds from from Firefly, where he's yeah. um, he's a he's a good guy, but uh, sometimes but he does stuff that's like why did, good to why the point, do that? <laughs> yeah, he's good to the point of naivete yeah. almost. Except he is kind of savvy, you know. Like there are definitely oh, sure. indications that he is uh, he's smart and knows you know what he's doing, but at the same time. He's he's a blunt instrument, right? Like yeah. that's he has kind of you know everything looks like a nail to him. And I think I think maybe philosophically he also believes that um, that everything is a nail in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that yeah. and then so it's like he realizes that it's messy, but he doesn't really believe that it's it's not the right thing to do, even if it's even if it's messy. There there is a nice moment, and I believe it's in is it in in Calibid's War where. Um, yeah, it's Calvin's war because he starts to um, internalize a lot of the same sort of cynicism and negativity that Miller espoused, yeah. and his crew really gets turned off, and his uh, his girlfriend uh, basically kicks him out of their cabin and leaves the ship, and he has to do some reassessment of who he is and and how he's acting because they're basically like hey you're no longer acting like that idealistic jackass that we love now you're just a jackass so stop that yeah they're like you're not the guy that shoots everybody you're the one that talks everybody out of shooting yeah yeah and then and then miller appears in a a vision just to get him but um i i liked you know, not only did I like that that scope of 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 the space opera that's introduced in Abaddon's Gate, that this is this galaxy spanning civilization, and there's a threat, and there are all these gates, and humanity has a chance to explore further, um, because the, one of the subplots of all three books is that the Mormons have tried to build this big spaceship, and they're going to send it on, uh, you know, to another star system, and it's going to take generations for it to get there, and the it doesn't really work out, and they repurpose the spaceship a few times, but. Um, you know, there's, that is setting up like, well, forget traveling to other other solar systems. That trope of sci-fi is not going to be in this. But wait, <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> there's I, more. I like that. And, and then, like I said, I like how weird the space station is. I really felt like the the alien uh, machinery. Once you, um, you know, once Holden's able to talk to it, I love how weird and alien it is, and how it's it's not even like the machinery. Like like Miller is like the interface to the machinery. Um, trying to it, it's just it's fascinating because I I like that it's complicated and weird because it should be like when you see sci-fi movies where you know you can just take a uh, you take your power book and hack into the alien computer, um, you roll your eyes and at this it's like no no al- if we met aliens or alien systems it would be really strange and in Abaddon's Gate it's really strange it is end of two thousand one strange just like bizarre stuff yeah yeah I enjoyed that it's it's alien it's not just like a palette swap where it's like oh they're basically <laughs> people but with like different colored you know different numbers of limbs or <laughs> different colored they have three skin. eyes yeah mm. exactly no i mean without really thinking about the consequences thereof this you know this seems actually thought out and like there's there was a reason behind this whole civilization or and we don't even you know that's the fascinating thing is like if you asked like what are, what are, what do the aliens from these books look like we never see one. They're no. all dead. They're all dead. This is just the systems they built that that continue just, on yeah. without them. It's like the Their Roman. Stuff. It's like the aqueducts and the roads. Mm. If the Romans had all died off, 
Yeah. So um, the next book is uh, Sibylla Byrne, which I've only read the first like five chapters of. So how is it? <laughs> it is it is as distinct from the, I mean yes. as distinct from the rest of them as they all are right it's it's a very different type of book just to set up the premise you know now that these gates are open people have basically gone through and started settling in particular one planet um that they that seems to be habitable by humans um and there is a political dispute over it in terms of there are squatters who have basically you know jumped in a ship and flew out there before uh, anybody else could get there but there's also a company that's like a mining company that owns theoretically owns the rights to that planet or has you know a deal with the un to basically colonize and resource farm the planet or what right. have you so there's some conflict there um and we meet a couple new uh, uh new narrators including a couple of whom who have appeared previously in the series as minor characters <laughs> i believe there are two in that huh. book who are pre who we've already met in the series. Um, and there's some interesting fallout from stuff that's happened in the series already, both for those characters and for some of the other characters. Um, but it's a very, you know, I, it's interesting because looking at it without giving too much away for those of our panelists who haven't read it. Thanks. We get into the same situation of being like, <laughs> you know, that Abaddon's gate address is like, well, as people, should we really just be jumping onto these brand new planets and settling <laughs> them? Like, should we check that out first or should we just like, let's just go? Because the, the planet has got like hmm. um, tunnels and and structures and things that were right. left by whoever lived there before whatever happened to the gates and everything happened. It's not like, I mean, and, and literally people are just like, Hey, but there's lithium here. Let's mine it. It's like, yes, and a dead civilization and alien creatures. And are you really thinking this through? <laughs> but they're and and they're really excited about the fact that there is another planet because a lot of the tension earlier on in the series comes from the fact that um you have these two you essentially have your earthers, your Martians, and your belters. And the fact that both the Martians and the Belters grow up in different gravitational situations, which leads to some physiological differences. Right. There is like a racial divide. Yeah. And so having another planet turns out to be an interesting tension, political tension factor, because it's like, oh, well, now, you know, how does that factor into all these pre-existing divides in terms of how we've categorized people thus far? Right, and the Belters uh, are the ones who who do the wildcat colony on this planet. And th that's also funny because on one level, they're trying to band together as Belters. On another level, um, if, if they colonize a, a planet they're not their their children are not going to be belters anymore right. they're going to look like earth people and and mars people because they're going to be born in, in gravity. gravity yeah so the, yeah. you know they're going to they're going to be abandoning they may feel like they're like supporting their people but they're actually going to be abandoning their life entirely by doing that so that's fa it's a fascinating wrinkle to like we ran we thought we were out of real estate so we were colonizing out here and now it turns out there's unlimited real estate so what happens right. next right and and the questions of just like how you know human beings being naturally tribal to a certain extent like how do you draw those lines right. in terms of like your identity when it comes to a new planet when it's and somehow there's always an element of us versus them and that comes into play in terms of settling this new planet sure. between these these conflicting parties the, the reviews i read of it have said also that th this feels like sort of 
uh, part one of the next act of this series that yeah. you know, part, part mm-hmm. the, the first act was opening the gates essentially. And right. this is, this is part, this is a, a transitional book that's setting up this next phase of the storyline. And apparently they've signed a deal where there are going to be like five more of these at least. So, yeah, well, I, I was fascinated because I, I'm, you know, having now finished that book and, and thought about, you know, sort of how different all of these books are from each other. I'm, sort of just really intrigued to see what the next book is because even if you're setting up a new act it feels like the pattern is that all of these books are so different from the other books (laughs) yeah and so the kind of the way this leaves off in some ways because all the books seem to end with a certain amount of epilogue that has like hints Uh of where we're going next and the hints that they sort of drop in this book suggest well we're going we're not going to like necessarily directly follow up on the stuff here but it's going to have an impact on what we're looking at next in the whole like state of play for all of these factions. Right. Uh, anything else uh, anybody want to say about the series other than we like it? You should, you should, uh, you should read it. I think before the TV show comes on, maybe you should, you should read it. They're fun. It is, it is one of the best science fiction series I feel that I've read in years. And certainly one of the best, I think probably the best space opera I've read since the Vorkosigan saga, which is my favorite space opera. Wow. So, I feel I Um, I really enjoyed it. I I sort of burned through these and I've really just I've immersed myself in them and I haven't found a book series that I've just fallen into so completely as this in a very long time. So it was it was a delightful read. I highly recommend it. Oh, I I was just going to say, if if I weren't deep in rehearsing a show right now, I probably would have pounded right through the second and third one at Uh least because, yeah, it, it just it's fun. It is fun. There's no doubt about it. Scott, do you? Uh, what are your feelings? Search your uh, feelings. No. I, I, I have no feelings. Uh, I enjoyed reading them. I think they're fun. I'll read the next one when when it comes out in uh, like a, whatever next June. Really. They they turn them out every month or something. Yep, it's craziness. Uh, and I'm surprised how good they are given their rapid development. I, I'm intrigued. I wonder how they do this. How they there are two guys that are writing these, and I just wonder what their process is like. Maybe Daniel Abraham and Ty Frank are themselves pen names, each representing two people, <laughs> wow. and then they, they have two people and they have two people and there's actually like 128 people who read these books crowdsourcing it's amazing. it could be it's amazing mm. <laughs> just google docs you set up a google doc you share it with some friends you got a novel you got a you book a deal you got a, you got a tv deal just like I've that doing this all the wrong way yeah seriously but they yeah. were a lot of fun i like them i think that they feel modern and rooted in our current time like dan was talking about how he's kind of burnt out with this this post-human thing that some right. sci-fi authors are going like to. those and charles strauss like that charles strauss book we read with the, mm-hmm. like the money I, and the mermaid right i couldn't yep. finish it i couldn't i started <laughs> yeah. reading it i got like 50 pages in i'm like i just i don't i don't care about these people these ro- they're not people. even people they're like robots that yeah, right? i don't I, what yeah. is it 2312 or whatever the heck that was called oh, i almost oh, finished yeah. 2312 oh, couldn't get that either Oh. Dan, you're Which never going like. to know how fast money and slow money work now. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hold on. Let me check really quick. Yeah. Nope. Okay with that. Yep. I'm all good. <laughs> I, I can tell you later, Dan. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I've, I've got to finish the textbook. Oh, well, oh, I've got a webinar on it. I'll let you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they're a lot of fun. They're, they, they certainly feel like if um, current people were transported to the future, uh, what would happen? Uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way. Uh, you know, like Dan was saying, the characters act like you think they would, and uh, they feel like people, which is a high compliment. And the aliens are weird, and and cool stuff happens. Yeah. 
Yeah, I like that. I mean, again, re- in reality, uh, you know, 200 years in the future, people will probably behave there'll be things about human nature that'll be the same, but there'll be a lot of trap trappings that'll be very different and horrifying. It's the, it's that damn kids thing taken like times a hundred. But, um, and that, that can be interesting speculation, but on another level, I also enjoy science fiction where the characters feel human in a, in a strange situation, but recognizably human behaving the same way. And maybe, you know, saying some things about how, you know, what human nature is and how we behave today. And I, I like that. And, and, uh, I, I'm with you guys, uh, post-human complications are interesting, but it was nice to read something where uh, I felt like I was ca- I was you know watching a movie or a TV show in my head with yep. these really good, well-drawn characters who were recognizable to me as yep. people. Fun is under fun is underrated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And having yeah, read the really first is. one, not knowing anything about you know this obviously this was before the TV series, but once I heard about the TV deal i was like oh that makes perfect sense just reading the first one it's like yeah i can i can totally see this as a tv show and reading the other three it it even hammers that home even more yeah yep season four on a planet (laughs) (laughs) actually actually in terms of tv construction i was also thinking that one of the brilliant things about this is that they they it is not like a book of space battles right it's a lot of conversations and people Mm -hmm. in enclosed spaces whether it's on earth or on a space station or on a spaceship having character moments and punctuated by exciting space things um but uh but also it just it seemed eminently uh filmable that that, it kind of reminds me of um it makes me think of the wire honestly it's like every season has a slightly different theme yes with a slightly different set of characters some characters carry over between the seasons but they're each sort of distinct and tell their own story within themselves right and it all connects in a larger city and we find out amos is from baltimore yeah (laughs) amos is from baltimore (laughs) that's true (laughs) amazing all right well so there it is the expanse if you're still listening because you don't care about spoiler horns uh go read it read them all read them all (laughs) talk Uh, them all so read now the novellas too they're kind of good so now the i will seek those out after i'm done with the fourth book i was gonna say one of the things i really like about it is that it is large enough to also be able to have these novellas with smaller stories and focus on characters that might not be you know that might not get a giant part of a, of one of the books but you can still i mean again fitting in that whole television episodic thing you know this is this is like a special episode in the middle of the season you know? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and so one of the novellas uh, tells Amos' story. One tells uh, Fred Johnson's story, yeah. uh, and then uh, the third one tells the story of Bobby's uh, cousin, <laughs> which is kind of weird, but it's fun. <laughs> David Draper, who uh, he shows he up, may... does he shows up in the prologue of book four? Uh, book right? four, yeah. yeah, yeah. So his story is told. Nice. All right, now let's move on and play that game that we've been playing since episode number one. Uh, which is what are you reading where we get to talk about some books that we've been reading lately that we would like to recommend, ideally recommend, or, or maybe <laughs> warn people away from. Fine, that works too. Dan, what are you reading? Jeez, oh, well, I just finished this book like... Ah, like, you're reading the, <laughs> the Expanse. <laughs> started. The Expanse, you say. Tell us That's, about that. that. Seems like, that yes. seems like cheating. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to read next. I had a couple things on my list and I had a few things on sort of my... Uh, my uh, bedside table that I had stacked up. Before you were reading The Expanse, were you reading anything? Did, did you read anything good the last like Jesus, six months? It's a, been a while. What the hell did I read before okay, that? You think uh, about it. We'll come back to you. David, <laughs> yeah, what, do you, what, do you, what have you been reading? Well, the other book I have a bookmark in right now is 
I haven't gotten a tie-in novel in I don't know how long, but they just came out with a, a Doctor Who novel about the War Doctor. Ah. And I thought, okay, I'm curious. And uh, it's, it's called Engines of War by George Mann, with two N's. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, you know, you can you can really see or, well, hear John Hurt doing these lines. So I think he's really caught the character. And I took a break from it to go into Leviathan Wakes. So I'm kind of curious to see how it wraps up. Mm. But but I'm liking it so far. All right. You know, so I know you love tie-in novels, too. Well, yeah, I, from your, I've from curbed your earliest my days. habit. I've curbed my habit. But yes, I used to have tons of tie-in mm. novels. I still have a few. All right, Scott, what, what have you been reading lately that you recommend? I, I get so many books that I read because you tell me to read them. So what? tell me what to read, Scott. Well, as I was reading The Expanse, I tweeted about this book earlier today, actually. It made me think of this series, uh, the Paradox Trilogy, that I read. That's by Rachel Bach. Uh, I read it uh, sometime earlier this year. Uh, three books, obviously, because it's a trilogy. Fortune's mm-hmm. Pawn, Honor's Knight, and uh, Heaven's Queen. Um, and luckily for me, I started reading it, uh, and they decided, I guess they had these, uh, backlog because they came out, uh, one month at a time. So hmm. it was very convenient for me because I started reading it, uh, when the first one came out and then I had to wait a month for the second one and the third one. Uh, and these are, are right from the beginning space opera. It's, uh, a woman is the, the main character and she is kind of like this power arm pilot and she gets mixed up. Uh, power armor, I should say, not a power arm. That would be a weird, uh, highly specific uh, skill. Um, but she gets mixed up in this crazy, uh, like, uh, psychic monster thing that's happening and a secret society that's protecting the universe. And uh, it's a very interesting uh, book. And it's always nice to read a science fiction book uh, that has a female um lead so mm. uh, check those out All and right. the first one's two dollars jason i can answer your question now hey dan what are you reading <laughs> fortunately i've been cataloging my my books this year and i just remembered that and good I i've go got my goodreads page open i don't know uh, <laughs> so ironically enough the book i read directly before leviathan wakes which sort of eased me into it was a star wars book but it was written by james s.a Corey. oh yeah i was say um, well, Honor Among Thieves, which is a Han Solo book that takes place after Star after A New Hope. It was okay. Oh. I wouldn't say it was great, but it it was good enough that it made me check out what else was under the name James S. A. Corey. And then I was like, oh, I think Scott liked that book. I should read it. Mm. Um, directly before that, I read another, actually a really good book that I will recommend called Hot Lead, Cold Iron um, by an author named Ari Marmel or Marmel. I don't know. Um, but it is a sort of urban fantasy book set in 1930s Chicago following a PI named Mick Oberon, who is actually from, who is actually a fairy from the, the oh. Fae. Um, it has a little bit of intrigue, fantasy intrigue, but also mobsters and, yeah, a little bit of noir angle to it. I thought it was quite good. It's very funny. It's well written. Uh, I believe there are more following books coming out in that series, and I would recommend it. Jason. What are you reading? Oh, thank you for asking, Scott. That's very <laughs> kind of you. Um, I uh, we're going to do a book club in a in a few weeks about this. I, I I read some urban fantasy sort of stuff. I read London London Falling by Paul Cornell, and I bought the sequel, but I haven't read it yet. And I read the latest uh, Ben Aronovich. Well, not the latest. I read the next Peter Grant book, Moon Over Soho. 
um, those are series. The Ben Aronovich and Paul Cornell, both Doctor Who writers, <laughs> both now writing urban fantasy about law enforcement with magic in London. Uh, so lots of similarities, <laughs> lots of differences, but um, both good, really good. Uh, Dan, I know you've been you've been reading the Peter Grant. I have. I, I think I am up to date hmm. on it. I yeah, I think, like I think four. there's one coming. I think there's one coming out this fall, though. I think I just there's saw like that. four of them or five of them or something. I read four. Yeah. I think I think the right. fifth one is coming out this fall. Yeah. So I I, re- I read the second. It was really good. Um, I really liked it. I've enjoyed all of them. Rivers London, I mean, yeah. they're quick reads, and um, there's some more interesting stuff. That again, as it goes along, sure. things get a little more complex. Sure. And there was a there was a genuine moment in one of the last books where I was like, what? He's going on. Yeah. Well, it's funny. Uh, the Ben Aronovich books, there's uh, basically magic. Something happened, and now there's almost nobody who can do magic. And then this uh, this young uh, uh, young detective uh, or young police officer uh, ends up meeting this old white guy. He's a young black police officer, uh, old white guy who knows magic and sort of takes him under his wing and explains to him that he's going to maybe be a magician. And, it, it, you know, it's it's pretty cool. Um, London Falling, it's sort of like there's a there's a, a a team of people in the police who are investigating a crime and through a, an accident, they basically are granted special magical sight. And so they they are then basically told, OK, well, I guess you're the magic cops. Um but they're very sim- they're very similar and they're both really good. They're both really good. Um, so Paul Cornell and Ben Aronovich. I read uh, Sherry Priest's book Dreadnought, which is the sequel to Bone Shaker, which we talked about in like episode one. Jeez, oh, um, time ago. That I've been taking that series slow, but it's a, it's a uh, it's called the Clockwork Century series. It's a steampunk. Um, there's zeppelins. To answer the age-old question, are there Zeppelins? There are Zeppelins. There are like hijacked Confederate Zeppelins. It's an alt history where the Confederate War or the the Civil War rages for like forty years, and there are zombies in Seattle, and there's there's little cross-linked characters. And and every, I, I go, I just am trying to stretch those out. But every time I read one, I I go, wow, these are really great. So Sherry Priest's Clockwork Century. I read My Real Children by Joe Walton. I know, Scott, you read that. I did. I really liked it. I really loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It is not quite science fiction, except in the idea that there's kind of a a split where a woman has to make a decision and then she leads two lives and we see both of both of the lives of based on that decision. And at the very end, she sort of like the waveform collapses and she's (laughs) remembering because she's very old and she's got two sets of memories. But really... It's not super science fictional, but it's it, and it's very different from most books because she's she has to tell like two complete life stories. So there's a lot of like scenes and then a lot of summary of things that happen in this woman's life in these two timelines. But um, man, is it good? It's really good. Well, Joe Walton. Hmm. So I also finally read Tooth and Claw by Joe Walton, mm-hmm. which Scott recommended. Um, this is the mo- this is the book where um, all the characters are dragons. And yes. they all wear sound um, like Jane Austen. Yeah, they wear <laughs> they, hats. They, they wear <laughs> they hats. Do. Yes. Okay, I remember this. Dragons that wear hats. They do. Yeah. It's very serious. And I, I, I started. I had it on my Kindle for like a year. And I'm like uh, dragons and hats. I don't know. <laughs> and I finally read it. And it's like, oh my god, it's great. It really is great. It is a Jane Austen novel. Um, it's a, it's like a, a comedy of manners and, um, but the dragons, uh, yeah. And, and and every now and then when you think you start to think of them as people, then. A dragon will like eat another dragon, yep. and you'll be like, "All oh, right, dragons, <laughs> oh, got <yeah>. it." Dragons. <laughs> it's it's it sounds ridiculous, and it is ridiculous, and yet you know what? It is fantastic and very and very fun because it is in that style of 
um, coincidences and connections and you can see how the plot is going to connect together and have a an amusing result in the end and this couple is are they going to come together or not and all of that except they're all dragons and they are eating each other it's it's downloading to my kindle right now <laughs> yeah it's so good <laughs> Can I add the other book that I've been reading lately, and I feel like I'm I can I can justify this because I'm I'm currently unemployed. It's yeah. my own book. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> Resur- is it Which, still called Resurrection Man, mm-hmm. Dan? It it doesn't currently have a title. Okay, oh, a lot oh, has changed. Yeah. Oh. I've been where can I where can I buy this? Title? It's just dead body. Uh, you, if you send me a check, Scott, <laughs> I will send <laughs> you a copy of this book. <laughs> Exclusive copy of this book. Ooh. It's coming along. It's All only right. been I've only been working out for five years. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll be done any day now. Dan, maybe this is the year when when uh, you and I finally come out with our books. Now hey, that we don't hey, have this jobs. is what I'm do- this is what I'm <laughs> literally on. spending all of my time oh, on nice. right now that is not involved with podcasting. All right. I, well, I read. I, I look forward to seeing how totally different it is from the first draft that I read. I think you'll enjoy it. All right. I God, I hope so. Um, I read uh, while I was on vacation. I read Gone Girl, which is you know oh, yeah. bestseller. Oh, it's really kind good movie. Yeah, it's going to be a movie. Out. It's a really good book. Gillian Gillian Flynn, who once interviewed me for five minutes for Entertainment Weekly, um, <laughs> that's my claim to fame. That's my Glenning. Is she oh. interviewed me about TV.org <laughs> for like a two hundred word article in Entertainment Weekly, and now she's a best selling novelist. But it's a, it's a really good book. Really uh, good. Yeah, I, I without there there are twists and there are very interesting characters and it's uh it's maybe not the book you should choose to read on your vacation for your 20th wedding anniversary <laughs> because it is not romantic in any way but it is really great so oh man don't and be I turned read, away I, I read uh world of trouble which is the um third oh, yeah. and final book in the last policeman trilogy ah. uh, which is uh the 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 trilogy set where an asteroid is uh going to hit the earth and this detective everyone's kind of given up on their lives because uh, the planet's going to be destroyed but this one detective is looking for stuff we might uh, we might talk about that sometime too lisa has been agitating because yeah. lisa loves it when the earth is destroyed oh man and you know i was worried while i was reading the last book that there was going to be some kind of cop out and I'm like oh no the asteroid misses um but uh, I was not disappointed. Huh? <laughs> yeah. No. It, oh well. Now I don't have to ending. read it. Thanks. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whoops. The the only other book I've been reading the last month or so has been uh, a, a book for research, uh, Bourbon: A History of the American Spirit <laughs> by Dane Hucklebridge. That's a fake name. And, uh, That's that like Joe Steele. Oh, totally fake name. Seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's a very entertaining look at the history of bourbon and why it's focused in kentucky and you know Mm -hmm. all this stuff so it's research for a script for something else but not not uh, for the radio theater no but i'm sure details will bleed into that of course that's just how it works after we did our episode about 1776 the musical i did actually read david mccullough's 1776 which is a great book book. um I wish that there were books at the level of detail and skill of that book about the other years of the war, because it is literally <laughs> just about the year 1776. And you get to the end and you're like, but, but, but no, tell where's 1777. It's not. Nope. There, that's there it. is one by someone else. Someone else. 1775. Yeah. That that's the run up to it. But. Yeah. It's a really good book. Nobody sings. Um, nobody sings in it. By the way, Thank God. it's not really connected to the <laughs> musical in 
It's an outrage. In any way. And well, here's my nonfiction one for you. We haven't done one of these in a long time. I read a really fun book called Up, Up, and Away, The Kid, The Hawk, Rock, Flatty, Pedro, La Grande Orange, Yuppie, The Crazy Business of Baseball, and the Ill-Fated but Unforgettable Montreal Expos. That is the complete title <laughs> by, yes. jo- by Jonah Carey. Who is a, a a friend of the friend of the podcast? We'll say he actually used to work with Phil Michaels. And uh, as sports books go, it is uh, delightful because Mon- baseball in Montreal, man, that was a car crash, <laughs> <laughs> and the fans, the poor fans, have to have to deal with it. Anyway, those are books. Books are good. You should read books. I oh guys, I I finally read Good Omens. Oh, I, oh, I just noticed that as I was looking at Goodreads. Yeah, I finally that read is, it. I know is, people really love it. I found it. You gave it a three. I found I, it I'm okay. So I, I have had it on crowd, my shelf for close to 20 years, and I still have not gotten past page 30. I found it I okay. How, wow. Well, I, I haven't yeah. read it in many years. I remember really loving it. I, um, I keep trying. I keep trying because people keep saying, oh, but you it's so you. You would love it. Yeah. And, you know, there are parts of it that are really hilarious. And then there are uh, parts of it that they're trying. They're trying so hard. They're trying so hard to be yeah. quirky in English. But, and yeah, I mean they are quirky I, in English. I, oh, I know, but <laughs> but I, I will say, p- people have also said the same thing with Pratchett, just in general for me. And I I have not been able to get through any of his books. Uh, that's a shame. I love Terry Pratchett. I like him, yeah. but don't love him. And maybe that's the thing. Oh, I, I love, I love I Neil have a Green, great Green, fondness but, for him. Yeah. I have a great fondness for him, and he's he's a very different writer from Neil Gaiman, and I'm always blown away that the two of them collapse. Yeah, it is <laughs> it is weird. There's some very funny stuff in it. I mean, there's there's definitely stuff where I stop yeah. and I read it out loud to Lauren because it's like get a load of this. This is really funny. But um, <laughs> then there's you know other stuff that's it was fine. I think it got oversold because I know some people think it's like the greatest book ever. Yeah, that's a problem. I can't leave, live up to those. No, expectations. it is not. Yeah, the greatest expectations book ever. are hard. I definitively say yeah. it is not the greatest book ever. It's no great expectations. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see what I did there? Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. That one let me down too. Bravo. The, sub, the <laughs> subtitle of Great Expectations is are, are not what you should have about this book. <laughs> Lower the expectations right there. Uh, Dickens tried to put that in for the reviewers. He and did. Just, you know, everyone lopped it off, didn't really. Charles Dickens, well, he, he, was he was paid by the word, so he was padding that title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, title words are extra. <laughs> All right. We've come to the end of the book club. I want to thank my guests for talking about books. We should do this again sooner than the million <laughs> years it's been since the last one. Not counting the stand, which we don't count because that was a totally different crowd. David, except for me and David Lord. David Lord, thank you for being here. Thank you. It's a pleasure, as always. As always. Dan Morin. Thanks for being here. It's nice to hear your voice on a podcast. <laughs> I know it's such a rare occurrence these days, but it's a pleasure to come back to my one true home. Tell tell us about you. You uh, you people can find you in other podcasts. Maybe you people should. People can uh, find me in many other podcasts. Uh, Clockwise, yes, with some guy named Jason Snell. Yep, um, which shows up weekly on some day of the week that we choose it to show up yes, on Wednesday or Thursday, usually <laughs> somewhere somewhere in the middle of the week. Uh, and just starting last week, I've started a new podcast with two other friends of the incomparable. I would say maybe that's overselling it. No. Lex Friedman and John Moltz called the Rebound. Yep, in which is a shortish tech podcast that's maybe funny and probably a little bit crass at times but you know that's what you get when you hang out with lex and john bless you hey, for doing was, small podcasts i really love small fun. podcasts thank I, god I well we'll see if anybody episode. likes the second episode we decided maybe to just quit oh, while we're ahead <laughs> drop the mic <laughs> i enjoyed away. the first episode 
Hey. Yes. yes, it was it was a lot of fun. Dan, I haven't right. listened yet because I don't have a commute anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I need to mow know, the lawn or something and take a bike I, ride. I feel your pain. Yep. <laughs> I listened to half of your uh, of your upgrade podcast with with Mike Hurley, nice. and uh, then I had something to do. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> so often happens. Well, I mean, like I, I was, I have a lot of spare time in which I don't have anything to do, and right. so I'm like, oh, I should listen to this podcast. I sure. never get to listen to podcasts. Yep, this is where we are now. Just, I'm, I'm just saying, Scott, you're, you, you know, you were the one among us who has to go somewhere where people pay you. It's it's a tough lot in life, I tell you. But <laughs> yeah. I'll keep showing up as long get, as they keep paying. Pay, me. pay the books. Pay for the books. I guess this is leading up to me saying, Scott McNulty, thank you for being here. I don't think it's sincere. <laughs> Having taken time out of your your busy work week. Oh, Scott, Scott, we had we such we 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 had such a moment. We we had barbecue together in San <laughs> Jose, true. California. It was delicious. It was a special it, moment. It was a special moment. Yeah. And, and peanut butter pie. And peanut butter pie. Mm-hmm. Ah, peanut butter pie. Anyway, thanks to everybody out there for listening to this episode of The Book Club and The Incomparable. We will see you next time. Goodbye. All right, and thanks to everybody out there for listening to another edition of... You didn't thank me, Jason. Oh, well, we, 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 had a, we had an exchange there. Is, it, we, is this because I have a job? We shared a moment. So. <laughs> I've seen almost everything now. I've seen things you wouldn't believe. Gates, something off the Tannhauser Gate. Or, nut that didn't record on the Tannhauser Gate. Uh, call recorder files lost like tears and rain. <laughs> <laughs> Time to die, Jason. Time, Time to die. To hang up Skype. Yeah. I'll see you in 12 hours. <laughs> yeah, see you, see you for another podcast <laughs> in 12 hours, Dan. <laughs> this is how we fill our time now. <laughs>